So my do- my two daughters and and my wife have a saying. And they say, John is going to do what John is going to do, which is kind of interesting. She, they don't say my husband. They don't say my dad. So when they talk to me as John is going to do what John is going to do, uh, that's pretty much their way of accepting, okay, well, he's going on another adventure and he's going to do something maybe he shouldn't be doing, but he's going to do it. And yes, they were always supportive. Welcome to Embracing the Journey, Living Beyond Limits. I'm thrilled to kick off this podcast where we delve into inspiring stories that often go untold, exploring the triumphs of individuals who've achieved personal milestones beyond societal norms through sheer perseverance and resilience. Today, I'm honored to have John Ebenetti as my first guest. John, fueled not by professional titles, but by a well-balanced life, motivated by the love and support of his family, His personal drive and goals help him stay balanced and healthy, exemplifying the essence of living beyond limits. John has set an extraordinary goal, a journey to summit six different mountain peaks on six continents before he turns 70. He calls it his six out of his 60s goal, a legacy he aims to leave for his grandchildren. A testament that anything is possible when you lead a life driven by purpose and personal fulfillment. Our conversation with John takes us to the breathtaking heights of Mount Kilimanjaro, where he reached the summit, marking a significant milestone in his extraordinary journey. Beyond the business world, John is a devoted family man propelled by his unwavering commitment to setting and achieving goals that enrich his life. Join us as we uncover the remarkable journey of a man driven by the love of family, personal balance, and an unyielding pursuit of living life to its fullest. Get ready to be inspired as we explore John's quest for self-fulfillment through the physical challenges he embraces. This is Embracing the Journey, Living Beyond Limits. I'm Lee Bakewell, prepared to be inspired as we dive into stories that will ignite your spirits and encourage you to reach new heights in your own journey. Don't miss out on this incredible story. John, I've known you for quite a time you're coaching your, your daughter so it's an absolute pleasure to have you here and thank you for for joining me the the story of Mount Kilimanjaro I'm sure to many is or inspiring or or maybe unrealistic or unattainable to some so we're here today to kind of delve deeper into the elements that made that achievement possible and to talk a little bit about self-belief determination mindset and the little techniques and the tools that you used along the way to both inspire that journey and to succeed on achieving that goal. So thank you for, for joining me. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and, and really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me, Lee. So can you share a little bit about the, the inspiration and the motivation behind that specific journey? Yeah, so the timeline probably started about two years before I actually committed to the climb. I was in Africa with my younger daughter. She was going there for a work-study program, and part of the program consisted of time in Kenya, and we thought we'd make a slight little vacation time before she started, and took a safari through the Kenyan reserve, and the second night we were there, we actually camped at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro, which we really couldn't see when we arrived because it was dark. I'd gotten up in the morning about 4.30, quarter to five as the sun started to rise. And I looked up to the top of the mountain, about 21,000 feet from where we were from ground level. And I said in the back of my mind, okay, that's something I need to climb one day. I was 50, 58 at the time. 
And I kind of put it in the back of my head and it was always there. On my 59th birthday, I came to the realization in one year I was going to be 60. So for my 60th birthday, my gift to myself was going to be to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I had never taken on a journey quite to that effect, let alone the commitment in terms of time that it took to get prepped for it. But it's something that I had wanted to do. Uh, I was planning to do it my 60th birthday. Unfortunately, COVID rolled around. That put a stop on all travel, but it's still something that remained targeted. So even though I had that roadblock of no travel over the next six to eight months, in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm still making that journey. I'm, I'm still making that adventure. And it's something that I am going to do. It was just a question of getting the right preparation, getting the right physical tools, getting the right emotion tools, and getting the right mental tools prepared for it. We covered 90 miles in about 10 days, hit the summit the night before. It was about minus 10 degrees, so it was cold. Fourth day up, uh, I broke my big toe. So that was sort of something that I had to overcome. Uh, but, you know, again, another, another obstacle, overcame it and continued the trek. Two nights before, cold weather, ended up getting frostbite on my face, my nose, uh, my eyelids. Again, another roadblock, but, you know, again, the still the commitment to uh, effectively make the summit. So you, you said he was always in the, the back of your mind. So was this something for your entirety of your youth into adult that's something you'd always considered, or was this just the realization you were there and you could see it and then that kind of just brought everything to the forefront? Great question. I love challenges. Having always been involved in athletics my, my whole life, athletics is about a challenge. It's about overcoming those challenges. It's, it's about adjusting to either race day or game day, whatever the specific event is. Um, I always knew in, in, in the back of my mind, for whatever reason, I wanted to summit that particular mountain. And it, it was an abstract vision, if you will. It wasn't until that morning when I woke up the base of the mountain and I had that realization that there it is, there's the top, and that's where I want to go to one day. So it was a combination of something wanting to do, but then all of a sudden having it in front of me as something that was material I could actually see. So I believe you had a, was it wrestling background, running background? Was that, am I right? Track, track, track. track. Yep. You were always pretty, pretty big into self-development, right? In terms of health, wellness, what kind of challenges did you face that, that was it just something that was always just ingrained in you that? You wanted to compete against yourself, against someone, always wanted to achieve something you hadn't achieved before. What, where does the love of challenging yourself or challenging others come from? My love for sports and, and athletics and being an athlete came from the goal setting, overcoming the obstacles, making adjustments in training patterns, making adjustments in race day strategies. Um, I was never the most gifted athlete, but I realized sometimes hard work can overcome and actually overtake natural gifts. So for me, sports were about self-satisfaction, 
overcoming obstacles, setting goals. And that's something that's carried over in life. And, you know, I talk with people today and, you know, they always ask me a question, which is kind of interesting. You're pretty successful in what you do. When do you plan on retiring? And, And my answer is, I don't need to retire because I have harmony in my life. I've got good balance. I have good health. I've got good family life. I've got good personal objectives. And for me, that all goes back to being an athlete. That all goes back to sports. It, it all comes from what I learned in, in my youthful years, which I carried through my teen years, which I carried into my 20s, which I carried into my family life. So sports and athletics have, have always had a very important part of my life. And, but both of my daughters have competed um, in athletics as well. And my oldest 29, my younger daughter's 27th, and you know, they, they all say the same thing that, you know, the sports taught them a lot while winning and losing was important in the moment. It's the discipline that they took away after all those years that's really helped them in life. You talked a lot about goal setting um, in, in just a short phrase, goal setting and adaptability. How, how important do you believe that is in terms of helping you create this challenge zone that you have for yourself, that you have, you set goals and you set out to achieve them. My own personal experience has been goals are extremely important. Um, goals are important in athletics. They're important in personal life. They're important in, in business life. They're important in everything that, that we do because it gives us something fungible. It gives us something that, that we can target. Um, and it gives us something that we can work towards, um, with, without having those goals, without having those markers in the road, you almost go through whatever you're doing rather aimlessly, you know, whether it's going to a practice and just going to the practice for the sake of going to a practice or going to a practice and come out of coming out of the practice, knowing that you're a little bit faster off of the ball, or you're a little bit more incisive in terms of where the next play is going to develop. So, you know, a combination of setting those goals, following through on those goals, and also reassessing the goals. You know, sometimes we set unrealistic goals, which effectively can lead to failure. So in reevaluating those goals, setting those goals that are more realistic, and by completing those goals, by being successful, that allows us to push out, allows me to push out the next goal even further. Have you always had that mindset? So when you were 12, 13, 14, have you always had that mindset of goal setting is important or is that something that's come through experience, through relationships, through networking with other people, through learning from other people? Where where do you think that stems from? Has that always been there? That's been in my DNA late. I mean, I go back to when I started competing in athletics and probably in an early age, seven or eight years old, I always wanted to improve, and, and that improvement was measured by a goal that I set. What Was I able to hit that goal? And, you know, again, that was in athletics, academics, and, you know, as I moved into my adult life, also my career. So goals are extremely important. And, you know, my, my advice to anyone, no matter what age, especially though um, the youth today, s- set up realistic goals, make, make goals that are attainable, not easy, but, but attainable. And then reassess those goals and set those goals again. 
Do you think it's okay to set goals that maybe at that moment don't feel attainable or do you feel like that's setting yourself up for failure and disappointment? How do you feel about setting goals that maybe aren't attainable, but a long distant dream? Such a good question. Um, so I, I, I set the goals relative to where I am in my life, both emotionally and effectively physically. And listen, I'm 60, I'm going to be 64. I realize that I am not capable of doing things that I was in, in my twenties, but that shouldn't stop me from setting a goal that is realistic and, and within my reach at, at this particular point in my life. I want to fight to the top of K2 with, within the next year and a half. That's going to be a tough climb. It's 27,000 feet. Conditions are rather adverse. I can train for that. I know my training is going to have to be harder than it was probably for my climate at Kilimanjaro, but going into it, I feel it's a realistic goal. So I'm not going to set goals that are completely unattainable, but goals that are challenging. And I think goals should always be framed in the context of being a challenge than being easy. Because if a goal is easy, then it becomes a task as opposed to a challenge. Is that exploration of K2 a direct inspiration of Kilimanjaro or the experiences you have at Kilimanjaro that you wanted to then set yourself the next task up? Is that where the inspiration for the next one comes from? It does. I had a choice of mountains and K2 represented the greatest challenge. Um, as I mentioned, I'm 64. My, my long range goal by the time I am out of my 60s is to do what I'm calling six out of my 60s. So six out of my 60s means this. I want to climb the highest mountain on each of six individual continents. But you may say, but yes, there are, are seven. What's the one that you're not going to do? Realistically, Everest is probably unattainable. Um, and, and that's just unattainable for a whole bunch of reasons. I've got two under my belt now. I've got uh, Denali in North America. I've got Kilimanjaro now in Africa. And by the time I'm through my 60s, I've got four more that I need to knock off. So uh, longer term goal, but again, a realistic goal. And do you have that timeline all mapped out as to where I know things change as, as conditions change, but you know which mountains there are the ones that you're targeting? Is that all laid out for you? Pretty much. I mean, I know I need to be done by March 14th of the year that I turned 70, just because I turned 70 on March the 15th. So I have to have all those six done before I turn 70. So yeah, it varies. And the nice thing about having those numbers and those options are as conditions change, I can kind of adjust. So, okay, I'm not going to do Europe this year. I'll go to South America. I'm not going to do South America. I'll do Japan or I'm not going to do pan I'll, I'll do Antarctica so I've got those options available yes I want to go back to Kilimanjaro in a second but I'm curious so if you don't get your six out of 60 and you get to five and for whatever reason out of your control you couldn't do that six are you going to push down into your 70s or are you set on March was it March 14th are you set that's the date and then you're done or could it carry on to seven out of 70 oh no I'll get all six done as we pause for a moment in this incredible journey with John, let's reflect on some key takeaways so far. 
John's story teaches us the power of realistic, attainable, yet challenging goal setting. It's about entering your own challenge zone for personal growth, finding something meaningful to work towards, measuring improvement by the milestones of your goals. Stay tuned for more insights as we continue to unravel the extraordinary narrative of embracing the journey, living beyond limits. How did you go about preparing yourself mentally and, and physically for what I can only imagine is a, a demanding feat and an and accomplishment to take on? What, how did you prepare yourself? Yes, that's a really interesting question because the one thing you cannot train for is altitude. Once you break 15,000 feet, the air becomes significantly thinner. If I were to consistently train at the highest altitudes in the United States, not counting Denali, that would be between 13 to 14,000 feet. So that's something that you cannot train for. You, you cannot train for lack of oxygen. You cannot train for thin atmosphere. What you can do is make sure that your body is properly prepared for the thinner altitude. Well, I thought you just said, John, you can't train for thin altitude. Well, you can't but you can effectively get your body prepared for thin altitude. You, you can mentally adjust for thin altitude. And I will say this, uh, once you break 15 to 16,000 feet, it, it becomes a whole different adventure. Uh, sleep becomes significantly harder at night. You're, you, you have to maintain an extremely high rate of hydration um, in order to adjust for the altitude as well. Um, you know, complicated with that, you know, you get the periodic headaches and, you know, again, dealing with the air that thin, it's strenuous, but if your body is prepared and if, if you were mentally prepared going into it, it's attainable. Kilimanjaro is rather interesting. There are three peaks. The first peak that you go to, and there's the second peak, and then there's Mount, there's Uri Point, which is the highest peak on Kilimanjaro. A majority of the people go to Kilimanjaro, go to the first peak, and they effectively celebrate their success climbing Kilimanjaro. It's the third peak that very few people go to. And the reason the third peak is a little bit tougher is it's about another 3,000 yards from the first peak, but another 2,000 feet in elevation. So when you factor in that distance and the additional height, the failure rate to get to that point accelerates significantly. So it's getting to that third point on the mount that, that becomes the challenge. And I'm assuming you went to the third peak, right? You didn't celebrate. Oh, I went to the third peak. Point. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, he wasn't I about did. to turn around and, and go back. No. no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I carried a uh, book of matches with me the whole yeah. trip. And when we hit the first peak, I took out the book and I tried striking a match to light it. And the match wouldn't light because there wasn't really enough oxygen for the combustion for the match. I'm like, okay, so we've got another 3,000 yards to go. So... I know there's obviously a, you said, I think it was two years from when you went there with, was it with Blaze you went or with your, your other daughter? Yeah. Ariel, mm -hmm. with Blaze, Blaze. Right? So when you're looking up at that mountain and you've got, you know, the mental preparation, the physical preparation, I'm sure there's a lot of training that, that goes into that. But how, how do you cultivate such a strong belief in yourself 
where, where does that come from? Do you, do you believe, um, did you ever doubt that you would be able to achieve? I never had any doubt because fail, failure was not an option. Um, even that point, fourth day up when I broke my toe, I kind of thought, okay, this is going to be a big issue, but you know, I managed to overcome that. It was painful, but you know, like adjusted for that as well. I'd say, you know, oddly enough, what became the biggest motivating factor for me as I continued to prepare for this was effectively the gift that I was going to leave to my grandchildren. And that gift, and I told both my daughters this, if at any point in time, any of my grandchildren say, I don't know if I could do that, your answer to them is going to be this. Your grandfather climbed Mount Kilimanjaro when he was 62 years old. So I don't want to hear that you can't do it. You can do anything that you set your mind to. So, you know, for me, that's, that's my generational gift. And that became the big motivating factor as I continued to do this. So a huge inspiration for you is your family and believe in them with self-belief in themselves that if you can do that at that specific stage in your development, your life, that they can achieve anything that's in front of them, no matter what the challenge. Mm -hmm. So you, ne you never doubted at one point, any part of the journey. There were moments when I kind of looked around, I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, when. You know, I mean, we had a couple of cold nights where it was minus 15 degrees below zero. And I was like, okay, so what am I doing here again? Okay, right. I'm going to the top. Right. Okay. I've, I've worked this hard. I've come this far. I'm going to the top. So I, I, I never questioned whether I was going to do it or not, but I kind of had that brief moment, like we all do, where it's a quick moment of reflection. It's like, okay, what am I doing here again? Okay, right. This is what I'm doing and this is where I'm going. How, how big of a part does family leading supporting you to enable to, to do this and, and have self-belief? So I know you have a very strong family behind you, but I, I'm curious as to how important that plays a part in developing that sense of belief. So my my two daughters and, and my wife have a saying, and they say, John is going to do what John is going to do, which is kind of interesting. She, they don't say my husband, they don't say my dad. So when they talk to me as John is going to do what John is going to do, uh, that's pretty much their way of accepting, okay, well, he's going to, on another adventure and he's going to do something maybe he shouldn't be doing, but he's going to do it. And yes, they were always supportive. They were supportive in the fact that they didn't hinder or attempt to roadblock my decision, but they weren't there at every training session with a stopwatch and a bottle of water at the end of the day too. So, you know, the support was, okay, this is what he's going to do. That's fine. Um, you know, we'll kind of be here to backstop everything. Did you do this solo or were you as part of a, a team? Yeah. So I don't play well in the sandbox with big groups of people and I've just been like that my whole life. So the I went with one other person, he was from Amsterdam and we kind of connected through a thread and we did a, it was sort of a, an off the book climb, if you will, 
in the non-traditional sense. A lot of people start Kilimanjaro, start at an elevation of about 8,000 feet. So they're going from 8,000 feet to, to 20,000 feet. We started at the entrance of the park. Ground level was about 240 feet. So we went from 240 feet up to 20,000 versus a lot of individuals who go in groups will start at 8,000 and, and then go to the summit. And then we came around the back of the mountain over the, over the ice glaciers. So it was a bit more challenging. So it was myself, this gentleman, and then three Sherpers. And then the Sherpers are the ones that carry some of the supplies and carry some of the tents. Did you ever come across people that were struggling on that journey that needed support from you, mm -hmm. um, that you could share your belief with? Uh, because we did an off the book kind of around the back way, we were not near any individual going up. We may have passed one or two groups of two, two to three people. We saw more people coming down the mountain, unfortunately, our second day down our descent, um, someone had passed away and they were actually bringing him down in a, good Lord, almost looks like a big wheelbarrow and he was draped in a body bag. He had came down with a, they call it HALS, high altitude lung sickness, where he actually uh, had an embolism in his, his lung because of the thin air and it blew and yeah, he died on the mountain, unfortunately. How did you process that? No, it was tough because that was a person who probably had a wife, probably had a family. When he got up that morning, he probably didn't know that he was going to die. So I think in that, that brief moment, it was a realization that success is not always guaranteed. Um, when you do succeed, you know, I was fortunate enough to come back down and really good shape minus the frostbite and, and, and the broken toe. But, but when you do succeed um, and you juxtaposition that after someone who's just failed at the most extreme level, I think it makes you just a little bit more appreciative, not only in the success of it, but all the work that you put in to make you successful. Yeah, that, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. And it was just this, it was odd. It was almost surreal because there was this moment of silence as he just came by with you know the several sherpas around him and you know they kind of cut through people coming on the down part of the trail and everything just kind of went really quiet and it's almost like the sea was parting he went through and remained quiet for a little while and i think everybody was reflecting the sort of same thing at that moment you know, the reality is you know you do something like this you do, you you can die as we hit another pause in John's remarkable journey, let's delve into the profound impact of self-reflection. In the second stage, he shares the transformative power of looking inward, leaving generational gifts of inspiration for his children and his grandchildren. John's story underscores the significance of cultivating strong self-beliefs, supported by the love of family and simple reminders that keep us focused on our purpose. Stay tuned for deeper insights into the reflective journey of embracing the journey living beyond limits there's a wealth of inspiration ahead. Did you ever go through such a process where, okay, this is the ultimate goal, which is to summit the, the third peak of Kilimanjaro on that journey. But did you ever consider all the things that potentially could hinder that? And then 
already have in your mind the way that you deal with them? Or is it just a case of, it doesn't matter what happens. I, I'll deal with it there and then. If I don't achieve this, then I have to kind of pivot and change. Did you go through that process at all? Yeah. So I, I sat down, I set up a couple of quantitative benchmarks, if you will, in laying everything out. I knew what I needed to cover every day in terms of mileage. I, I knew as we got closer to the top, that number would decrease significantly because of the steepness of the summit and the oxygen. I tracked my heart rate, tracked my sleeping heart rate, and I tracked my at-work heart rate. I also tracked my oxygen level at the end of every day. Um, if my oxygen level dropped below 68, not 67 and a half, not 67 three quarters, if my oxygen level dropped below 68, that was my turnaround point. Uh, and that was my turnaround point because realistically, 70% is the number you should be looking at. I felt when we just adjusted down a bit to the 68, but once you start hitting that level, you start running to a real risk of what's called HALS, that high altitude lung sickness where it could not be good. Um, so yes, I made mental contingency plans if that happened, what I was going to do. What I didn't plan on was breaking my toe, but I adapted and I overcame for that. What I didn't count on was getting the frostbite on my face. Um, I adapted and I overcame for that. Didn't shower for 10 days. And there's really no way you can plan around that. So yeah, there are things that you can plan for, but I did set up some quantitative markers in the road that, hey, listen, this is effectively my turnaround point. So one thing you said to me earlier was, well, the two quotes, right? So John, John's going to do what John's going to do. So you're... I don't want to use the word stubbornness as a negative, right? But you're pretty stubborn in setting your goals and you're going to go and achieve them. And then the second thing you said to me was failure is not an option. So if you had to turn around because those models got hit and you didn't reach that summit, do you, what do you consider that success or failure? If I hit that oxygen more, I would not have considered that a fail because that's something that's not in my control. I can prepare for it. Just like if there was a, a mountain slide or if there was an avalanche and we, we couldn't make it to the top, I wouldn't consider that a failure because that was not in my control. If I can control the situation, I'm going to succeed. And you know, by controlling the situation, failure, as far as I'm concerned, just does not become an option. That's one thing that I use a lot these days is control the controllables. Don't worry about the things that you don't control. Right. You can control your work rate, your attitude. You can control everything that you can control. Have you gone through any kind of processes that have allowed you to really approach things that way? Have you found ways of being able to do that? Or again, is that just something that has just been natural with you from day one? That's been organic. That's been natural with me, both in my business life, my personal life, and in my athletic life. And, you know, I always tell everyone, you know, especially the people that work for me. We can control what we can control and what we can, can control. We want to be the best at that. There are things that we cannot control and, and we don't want to destroy ourselves for the things that we can't control. Going back to your question, that's always been organic for me. I mean, I've always, I pretty much live life that way. 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can control. I'm going to do the best of what I can control. But if something comes up that I cannot control, that, that is a hindrance to whatever I'm doing. Okay. I'll accept the fact that it wasn't me. It was just outside circumstances coming down to bear. In your professional life, you have people that work for you, right? How many people do you oversee or take care of in, in the role that you are professional? On my team right now, 13. Do you have people on staff that maybe don't have that natural DNA that you talked about? What kind of no. tips and techniques? No, you don't have those people. <laughs> so how do you, is that for I, a, I a, love, like a I, I love, I love hiring athletes. I like hiring athletes for the fact that they can handle conflict resolution. They can handle time management. They set goals. Just by being an athlete and participating in, in athletic, you are goal-driven. You can handle conflict resolution because if you're a member of a team, all members of teams don't get along. So there's always the quirkiness and personalities. You have to adjust for that. You bring that to the business world. So I hire people with similar personalities to myself and similar outlook. But you know, it, it goes back to, I mean, I just, I just love the athlete. I will hire a B plus athlete versus an A plus academic student any day of the week. And I can tell you in my 33 years of, of doing what I've done, my success rate with that type of individual, it thrives. It's probably near 90%. Outside of the athletic background, what would you say out of, you know, top three or four personal traits that you look for in an individual when you're looking to hire them? I look for someone with a good sense of family values. And, and, and when I say a sense of, a good sense of family values, inherent in that is a moral compass that points north. So I want good people. And I believe if you have a good sense of family values at the end of the day, that moves over, that flows into the business world, that flows into people that you effectively deal with and work with on an everyday basis. Um, I like people who have experienced adversity in their lives. Adversity teaches them to overcome. I was a part of the alumni network at Boston College where I graduated from, and I've had the opportunity in the past 25 years to interview 150 to maybe 200 students who applied to BC, want to go through the alumni interview process. And I typically have what's called a golden ticket where, you know, once a year, if there's a kind of a special kid, I kind of give them that golden ticket. They're pretty much guaranteed admission to BC. The, the greatest kid I ever interviewed um, was a Bosnian orphan. And he came over from Bosnia after the Civil War, lost both his parents, couldn't speak English, lived with his grandparents in, in New York. And by every calculation in the world, the kid should have been a failure. And put himself through high school, got involved in athletics, was a good student, was not an outstanding student. But there was just something about this kid, the fact that he got to where he got to at age 17, given all the hardship and adversities that, that he had to go through. 
And I went through the interview process with him. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance with this kid. And he got into BC and he just went on to do great things in the medical world. Went on to medical school, did, did some really super great research. I stayed in contact with him about every two or three years or so. And again, that person overcame adversity. So going back to your question, yes, I like people that are good family values, people that come from athletics, people who come from adversity because it teaches them to value what they have. Do you feel that dealing with adversity is, is just uh, an experiential learning type process? Do you feel that it's something that can be developed over time within an individual? Uh, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? You can always look back and think mm -hmm. you could have dealt with it better. But at the time, you deal with it the way that you know how to deal with it. So do you feel that it's just a case of going through those experiences, shape your ability to develop mindset? Or do you believe there's ways that we can help individuals grow and deal with adversity? I believe that mindset is something that, that could be shaped and can be enhanced. Yes. People can learn. I've seen people learn. I've seen them adjust their mindsets going from one particular point on the spectrum to a much more improved point on the spectrum. They have to be willing, they have to be willing to learn and they have to be willing to um, accept sometimes side critique, be willing to accept outside input, be willing to accept what that second set of eyes effectively brings on. And I, th I think the people who are willing to accept that critique and have that internal and that predisposed DNA to adjust are, are the ones that are gonna effectively succeed. So, you know, I think mindset has a pretty important role to play. And when properly shaped, it, it could be life-changing for individuals, yes. As we approach the final segment of John's inspiring journey, let's explore Ray's mindset. This program was born out of embracing change and a willingness to adapt to the fluxing states of the modern world. It's about helping people develop resilience as a skill, not just a trait in their DNA. Through stories like John's, we learn that every conversation is an opportunity to develop pro-social skills, resilience, adaptability, and create a network to learn from and foster a support structure that helps individuals overcome adversity with solid values and self-belief. To help us reach a greater network and build support for each other, please be sure to subscribe, like, share, and more importantly, rate and review this podcast at the end. Your feedback can impact and inspire others on their own journeys. So stay tuned for the empowering conclusion of embracing the journey, living beyond limits. There's so much more to discover. Have you changed your perspective on anything? Have you adapted anything different since you've set these goals? Yeah, so I've, I've sort of, I've taken greater accountability in my life and, and my actions in terms of what I do with my health. I've been, oddly, I've become fanatical in terms of um, my diet at this point in time. I've become fanatical about my exercise routine. And I realized that Every decision that I make in terms of what I do, what I eat, what my training regimen is going to have an impact on, you know, my goal at the end of my 60s, whether I, I hit these particular mountains and peaks or not. You know, people say, well, you know, you're just micromanaging your life now down to, you know, the most 
you know, my, my new measurable fashion. But for me, it's, again, it's about making those small adjustments for that greater improvement. Um, you know, especially when it came to my diet, I'm, I'm 100% organic now. I'm, I'm pescatarian. I'm pretty particular with um, even the fish that I eat at this point. So, you know, making that adjustment, you know, to make sure that I, I hit this goal, uh, something I've taken really seriously. What about professionally? Is there, is there any, since you took on this task or these different goals, are there any things professionally that you've maybe adapted to or changed the way that you deal with your day-to-day role, the, the people that you work with? Is there anything that's been impacted by kind of going on this personal development journey? No, I, I mean, I've got my routine down, you know, which, which is pretty good. I, I would say from a business standpoint, it's kind of interesting that people are sort of drawn into individuals who have taken on big challenges and succeeded in terms of big challenges. So, you know, from a business standpoint, it's been kind of interesting for the positive. In, in what way? Uh, do people look at you in a different way because you've summited something that many people wouldn't even tackle? Yeah. Is, is that part of that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's as though they want to almost, and, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to, this is not a narcissistic statement at all. It's as though they want to be associated with someone who has sort of done something like that. And it almost, it's, it's almost as like they feel they've been there by my side along my journey as well. Yeah. I mean, that's what this podcast is about inspiring stories that people that yeah. live next door to you, you know, there, there's a unique ability in all of us to achieve things that maybe we don't believe are attainable or it's why I call the, the podcast living beyond limits is I think we all think that we have limits, but that there's ways that we can stretch and challenge those limits. And the one, the one cool thing that you said about family values is I think it's an important aspect in being able to deal with adversity is having a strong sense of self-awareness and then also having people around you that will be authentic and honest, you know, around you so you can fulfill your dreams, your objectives. So what kind of advice uh, would you give to somebody that wants to develop a growth mindset and overcome self-limiting beliefs like, like you have done with Kilimanjaro and potentially with K2 Well, not potentially, I know you're pretty, <laughs> pretty set and that's going to happen. So what advice would you give to people that maybe don't feel that they can change this mindset cycle that they're in and can develop a growth mindset and overcome self-limiting beliefs? The human mind's very powerful. The only limits out there are limits that we place on ourselves. We all have unlimited potentials. It's taking the steps to actualize those potentials. It's making sure that you believe in yourself. It's important to have a good support system around you, family. I mean, without family, you know, I kind of believe we, we as humans are destined to fail without a strong family unit around us. Make sure that your goals are challenging, realistic, and, you know, just be willing to adjust on the way. Make sure that you're able to, make, make sure that you're able to adapt. Um, and also seek out someone who could almost be like a mentor, you know, some, someone who could provide you with pure, unobjected advice at the end of the day and counsel. Yeah. 
John might ask who who would be your mentor that you've been inspired by or been able to lean upon throughout the the course of your journey so far? It's my wife, Lori. I mean, she uh, we've been married thirty three years. She sets me she sets me straight without letting me know that she's setting me straight. She's been my support unit along with my children. My, my mentor probably growing up was my father and oddly enough, my, my high school track coach who I still keep in contact with, uh, on, on, on a regular basis. But yeah, at this point in my life, it's definitely my wife. People have this vision of success. So in your case, it would be success would be getting to peak three of, of Kilimanjaro with some people's success is peak one, but they don't get there because maybe their heart rate or their oxygen levels drop behind. And, and now instead of them deeming success as kind of going through that process, they consider it obviously failure. Are there any things that you've come across throughout your journey as, as common misconceptions or challenges that people face that can be easily overcome in terms of their view of success or celebrating those milestones? Is there anything that you feel that you've experienced over time? Success is an internal marker. Um, success is, is something that we set up for ourselves. Unfortunately, success today is measured in what other people think of you. How many likes you get on your Instagram post, how many likes you get on your Facebook post, how many tweets are effectively reposted. That's not success. Success is something that that we feel internally and that's measured on an individual basis. I know a lot of people who feel successful, who feel complete in what they do in either business or personal lives. Other people may not view them as successful, but they feel comfortable in, in their own success. And it goes back to a statement that you kind of made a little bit earlier too about, you know, people not listening anymore. That's a lost art because their communication now is over, you know, a six inch by three and a half inch piece of glass. There, there's no more of that art of the communication or looking at anyone or getting that sense of body language or how they feel and how we communicate body language human wise. You know, again, it goes back to Success is not going to be measured by other people. It's not going to be measured by how many tweets are retweeted or how many likes you have on your Facebook post or your Instagram post. That's a quantitative number. That'll be forgotten tomorrow. You know, that, that success is something that you effectively feel internally. What kind of tip would you give someone who at this moment really judges success on external influences and how can they find that balance? And, and internalize success and feel confident in judging success that way. So I, I think ignore the outside people that are telling you what is successful and, and, and what is not because they're bringing their opinions to bear. Go inside your soul and, and seek out what you think is success and, and surround yourself with people of similar nature who have a similar approach and, and together you'll probably all be successful at the end of the day. As we conclude this extraordinary episode, take a moment to reflect on John's journey. 
testament to goal setting, personal drive, and the profound impact of support and self-belief. John finds joy in the constant challenge to improve, breaking down significant goals into manageable steps, and celebrating each stride forward. In the words of Adam Grant's hidden potential, the true measure of your potential is not the height of the peak you've reached, but how far you've climbed to get there. John's story embodies the joy found in the process, the determination to keep improving, and the belief that every step forward is a victory. Your reflections matter. Share your main takeaways in your reviews of this episode. By rating and reviewing, you contribute to building a community that thrives on inspiration. Together, let's connect these stories, find joy in every step, and keep living beyond limits. Thank you for being part of this inaugural episode of Embracing the Journey, Living Beyond Limits. Stay tuned for more empowering stories. And until next time, embrace the journey and celebrate the continuous climb. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with Embracing the Journey, Living Beyond Limits and get all the behind the scenes content, visit www.raisemindset.org forward slash podcast where you can find links to follow us at all our social media channels and available podcast platforms on Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. Thank you for listening.